Welcome to the Cross Lane Podcast, a community committed to bringing people to Jesus. We're in a series called Right in the Eye, and we've uh, been in the series of our second of, of six that we'll be doing in this series. And we're looking at the underbelly of the American dream, the unspoken part of the American dream that goes something like this. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it, and because we live in America, and because we know we, we need to be a little bit more civilized, we add a little something onto the bottom of that that, that uh, makes us feel better, but isn't necessarily accurate. We add this little thing at the bottom that says, as long as nobody gets hurt. The problem is, you can't do that very long. You can't do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, without hurting someone along the way, and a lot of times the person you hurt is you, and you're somebody, or you hurt the people that you're hanging out with, or you hurt the people that love you. If you've got parents and you do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, and you hurt you, then you're going to hurt your parents because anybody who's a parent knows that when your kids hurt, you hurt. But the one that kind of we never think about, and, and it's, it's sad that we don't, if you do this for very long, what I want, when I want, with whom I want, you eventually hurt the people who are coming after you. And as we said last week, in a joking way about halfway, I was joking, some of you are dysfunctional, some of you are not normal, you're a little off kilter or off balance, and uh, you know, when someone confronts you about some tendency you have or something that you do, something that you struggle with, our MO sometimes is to say, is to just blame our parents. You know, it's my parents' fault for doing whatever it was that they did. And probably, if you're tempted to blame your parents, Probably what your parents did a little bit of was what they want, when they want, with whom they want. And, and it's possible that as they did that, they just kind of forgot about you or they didn't factor you in. And they hurt somebody and now it's your turn to decide whether or not you're going to pass that hurt on to the next generation. Now this looks different in different stages of our life, doesn't it? I mean, um, we can all remember when we were teenagers and, you know, there was this, I want what I want when I want it. And, you know, there was then, you went to your freshman year of college and you did what I want, when I want, with whom I want. And then you went to your sophomore year of college. And for some of you, that was a different college because <laughs> you couldn't go back to the first one because um, you'd hurt somebody, maybe you. And so then life goes on and it just starts to look different. Then you come into your late 40s. And 50s, and then you start wanting to be a teenager again. You know that thing that we go through where we want to be young again, and then it kind of looks like what it looked like when we were an adolescent, only now we've got more expendable income and, and more of a spare tire around our waist, and it's just a bad combination, right? And have you ever seen an adult that's trying to look like or trying to relive their teen years? You ever seen an adult dance like a teenager? I've been places where that combination, where there was just a bad combination. There was alcohol, and there were people who were trying to relive their teen years, and you mix those two things, and then you just do things you wouldn't ordinarily do. In fact, if you've ever been to any kind of secular fundraiser, you'll notice that they always serve alcohol before they ask you for money, right? Because um, it just kind of greases the skids and it makes things a little easier. I had one of my Catholic friends leaving in the first service and she said, you know, in the Catholic church, they don't have that problem. They mix those two. And uh, I said, yeah, that's why their church buildings are bigger than ours. So, you know, we don't have that advantage here at our church. We, we, you know, there's no open bar before I raise money for a building. If, if you know, 
If we had that, it might be a lot easier to get some money out of some of you people, and you'd think I was way better than I am. But you know, have, you ever, have you ever been to a party where the adults are dancing in the presence of teenagers and then watch the teenagers' faces as they walk away from their parents like, ooh, that is so gross. That is so gross. They don't want to see that. Really, none of us want to see it, but it's amazing what happens when you blend those things. But what happens with this, I want to do what I want, when I want, with whom I want, at different stages along the way, it just hurts people. And, and it just, it seems like eventually somebody always gets hurt. Now, driving all of this this morning is this conversation in the book of Judges. And the book of Judges is a piece of Israelite history, and it takes place between a time when Joshua moved the children of Israel into the promised land, and then uh, Joshua's their leader, and, and you know he's, he's gotten them in there, and then he dies, and then there's this period of the judges. It's a little over 300 years, and they were supposed to obey the law that God had handed down, and God gave them judges and was going to kind of help them kind of manage this thing. And, and, but what happened is it, it, it's pretty much a disaster, what happened. And, and they would go through this cycle. We talked about this 3D cycle last week, this, this cycle, this, this, uh, cycle of they would disobey and then they would be led into or they would fall into disaster of some kind. And then, you know, they would ask for deliverance and, and the Lord would send some kind of deliverer for them. And they would basically say, I'm never going to do that again. Sound familiar? Has that ever happened for you? You disobey, disaster happens, oh, I'm never, God, please help me, mom, please help me, dad, please help me, come bail me out, come do whatever, and I'm never going to do that again. And we've all done that. We've all disobeyed, had disaster, and been delivered. And this just went on and on and on with the Israelite people. At the very end of the book, the final statement of the book of Judges, you read this in, Joshua, in Judges chapter 21, and if you want to get ahead of me, go to Joshua 3. But in Judges it says, in those days, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, go to Judges 3, not Joshua 3. In those days there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So in those days there's no king, so everybody just kind of made up what they were going to do. You know, they, they just kind of freelanced it and ad-libbed it and did their own thing. I want to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, with whom I want to do it. And back then they didn't add that little phrase as long as nobody gets hurt because they really didn't care. Because in their mind, it was all about them, and they wanted what they wanted, and it was a total disaster. So that's where we began last week. The book of Judges ends with this awful, tragic, horrible story that I read to you, so parts of it. Parts of it I wouldn't even put on the screen. And it's like the worst story in ancient literature, and it happens to go in our Bible. And, and so you read that story in the book of Judges, and then the story just ends. It just ends. There's no hero, nobody's redeemed, nothing good comes out of it, and then this statement is made, in those days, there was no king in Israel, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So today, we're going to go back at the beginning of the book of Judges, and the beginning of the book is a real contrast to the end of the book. I'm just, I'm just curious this morning, if you would show me by raising your hand, how many of you went to church camp as a youngster? Can I see your hands? Wow, there's a lot of you in here. There weren't many in the first service. So you're going to understand some of this. See, in the, in the beginning of the book of Judges, it's kind of like the last night at church camp. Um, 
I spent my childhood going to church camp, and something always happened at church camp that was a common experience, and I'm sure if you went to church camp, you had this too. And if you're not a Christian and you think Christians are kind of weird, what I'm about to say is really going to underscore that for you. I'm sorry. But I don't know how many of you went to church camp, but on the last night of church camp, what do all the girls do? They cry. Yeah. They're not even sad. They just start crying. In concert, you know. And pretty soon, it becomes an epidemic and I wasn't even sad, but I would start crying because everybody else was crying. And then pretty soon, we're just, we're all crying. So, um, and I'm not knocking church camp. Listen, I, I love, I had fantastic experiences at church camp. Some of the best times of my life were at church camp. Uh, things happened there that have literally changed my life. So I'm all in on church camp. But what happens is, that's something bugging me there. What is that? If you only knew sometimes. All right. What happens is you go to church camp and, and you're there with all your friends and, and they've recruited. I had a fantastic youth pastor. In fact, I had a youth pastor before many churches knew what a youth pastor was. This guy was really good. He recruited a great staff of people to work with him. Those people have literally changed my life. I still remember their names. I can still see their faces. Some of them are still living. And I, when I go home, I, I can, sometimes I see them and these reunions, I mean, really life-changing they would go with Doug to church camp he would usually recruit some kids from a traveling group from one of the Bible colleges and they would come in with us and spend time with us and when you're 15 16 years old these are the people that you look up to and so they would spend the whole week in church camp with us and I just I so looked up to my youth pastor I just thought he was amazing and what an impact he's had on my life and and I you just look up to all these people and they teach you about the Lord and you're reading the scriptures and sing some great songs, and it's really emotional, and you start to think about all the changes that you want to make in your life. And on the last night of camp, everybody makes this big commitment, right? You've left the world, and you've left all that bad stuff behind, and they decide they're going to go home and basically break up with their boyfriend or girlfriend. They're going to put everything that was bad away they're gonna you know they're gonna patch things up with their parents they're gonna throw their cigarettes out they're you know everything that they used to do they're gonna quit doing and they're not gonna smoke or drink anything anymore they're not gonna hurt anybody they're gonna not hang out with the same people and and they're not gonna sneak out at night all that stuff they pretty much quit their whole life and it's sincere okay it's I'm not saying that they didn't mean it they in the moment when you're doing all that it's like man I really mean this and this is gonna happen and I grew up going to church camp, and I made those same commitments. I've stood by the campfire and sang those songs and thought, you know, this is going on. I need to stop that. I need to concentrate more on this. And I've done all that same stuff. And so it's, I'm just, I'll tell you a real quick story. One of the kids in our church camp was a kid named Tim. And uh, um, Tim was about my, my, my little brother's age. And so it's the last night of church camp, and Tim was, you know, Tim could act up once in a while, and and um, he, he was into, like, rock and roll heavy, and he wore all the rock and roll shirts. You remember those old black concert shirts we all used to wear? And so he was at church camp, and every day he had on a different concert shirt and, and um, was talking about his music and all this kind of stuff. And he really wasn't into the whole Bible thing very much. But on the last night of church camp, Tim stands up, and he basically is making his declaration, I'm going to go home, I'm going to be different, you know, I'm going to do all this. And one of the things he was going to do was change the kind of music he listened to, and he was going to be better. And so to prove that, 
to everybody. He just kind of stands up right there by the campfire when he's doing his testimony thing, and he, he takes off his T-shirt, and he throws it into the fire. You know, and it's like this holy moment. We're all like, wow, you know, he's burning his T-shirt, and it was awesome. And, and Doug stood up next to him, you know, and he, he's a sage old youth pastor. He puts his arm around this kid, and he draws him close to him, you know, and he says, Tim, I'm so proud of you. And Tim, I don't think Tim really thought about what he was saying. He said, oh, that's okay. I got another one at home just like it. <laughs> it was awesome. It was awesome. But, but people really did make commitments, and there really was crying, and they were sincere about it. It was a very, very good thing. And one of the things that happened, you wanted to, you know, when you, when you were getting ready to leave, you wanted to kind of draw these people to you and tell, like these college kids that would come in. I got close to some of those guys, and I would want to hug them and tell them that I'd really had a good week with them and that I looked up to them and, um, you know, best friends, girlfriends, and, and college kids, sponsors, all that. So the book of Judges begins like the last night of church camp, and what happens is Joshua's about to die. He gathers the nation. He's about to leave, and he's going to send them off on their own. So he gives them this big speech, and, and this is pretty much a snapshot of the speech. We find it in Joshua 24, verse 14. He says, now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So this is basically code for go home and break up with your girlfriend, go throw out your cigarettes, get rid of all your secret stash, get rid of all those things that are polluting your life. And he gives this long speech and then here's how the people respond. Verse 16, then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Far be it from us. Joshua, don't you worry about us. When you're gone, we're going to remain faithful. Verse 17, it was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt. And they're saying, we, we, you know, we don't want to go back. They brought us out, up out of Egypt from that land of slavery. We remember what things were like. We've had it told to us what things were like. Our parents our grandparents have told us what it was like in Egypt. We have no interest in going back there and being treated like that. And we remember what that was like to be in slavery. It was the Lord, our God himself, who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from that land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. And you skip down about a half a verse. We too will serve the Lord because he is our God. In other words, Joshua, we've made a decision. God is our king. And he has given us the law, and you don't have to worry about us. We remember the story our parents and grandparents told, what it was like to be back in Egypt, and we're not going to do that. We do not want to be under the authority of some foreign king. We're not interested in that at all. And then it's kind of interesting. Joshua, he kind of talks some smack to them. I mean, it's like he, he taunts them a little bit. He says, you will. You will. You, you don't think you will, but you will. And they're like, no, no, we're not going to do that anymore. We don't want to go back. He says, no, I bet you go back. I bet you're going to go back, and you think this is going to be easy, and you think you've learned your lesson, and you think that you're, you're going to remember the pain and the sorrow that went along with compromising God's word. And then he comes to this, verse 21, but the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said, okay. I've warned you, okay? I've warned you. And then Joshua dies. And the people are in the land, and the basic feeling is, go God, keep God's law. 
and they pretty much hadn't even changed out of their funeral clothes from, from Joshua's funeral. And the Bible tells us this in Judges chapter 2. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They have just buried Joshua. And the next thing you know, they're off doing the very things that Joshua warned them not to do. And they're doing the things that they swore they would never do. They go home from church camp. They went right back to all their stuff that they swore at church camp they were never going to do. And the text goes on, verse 12. They forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They basically started to look around and say, I want some of that. We want to do some of that. Hey, how about, why don't we, I would like to do that. And everybody else is doing it, and isn't this kind of how it works? And we're kind of the oddballs. I mean, all the Canaanites are doing it, so we just want to be like them. And the next thing you know, they have abandoned the invisible king. They have abandoned the law, and they immersed themselves in the culture of the Canaanites right after Joshua had warned them, right after they swore, we will never go back. They aroused the Lord's anger, the end of verse 12, because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtaroths. Ashtaroth uh, was basically a female counterpart to Baal, And the problem with worshiping Baal wasn't simply that Baal was an idol. They weren't supposed to worship any kind of thing that had been made to to represent a god. That that was a big no-no. But one of the primary problems with this was everything that came along with worshiping a male and female deity. For one, when things got desperate with these people, with the Canaanites, they would offer human sacrifices. When things got really, really desperate, they would offer children as sacrifices. And when things got really, really bad, they would offer, you know, if it hadn't rained in a while or the crops were failing or whatever, they they would offer multiple children. In fact, there was one point in history where they would require the richest people in the kingdom to sacrifice their firstborn. This was a way to get, they thought, to get their God's attention. And God's basically saying to the Israelites, "You you, you can't be a part of that. That's not for you. And the next thing you know, the people of Israel have dipped into this horrible, horrible lifestyle. They're adopting all these things. Verse 14, in his anger against Israel, the Lord gave gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around whom they were no longer able to resist. In the first part of 15b, they were in great distress. God said, okay, you like the Canaanites? You think the Canaanites are all that? Um, I'm going to let you be conquered by the Canaanites. I'm going to let you be conquered by the very culture that you have copied. You abandoned me freely. You've just kind of walked away. You want to follow their ways freely, and that's most important to you. You know what? You're going to lose the thing that is most important to you. You're going to lose your freedom, God said to him. He said, don't you remember what it was like in Egypt? Don't you remember what it was like? Haven't you heard? Don't you remember the stories? People were so excited to get out from under all of that stuff that went on in Egypt. And now you have willingly disobeyed and walked away from me, and you have willingly embraced the culture of the Canaanites. Well, if you like it that much, have at it. That was God's attitude. And the next thing they knew, they were not conquering the nations around them. They were being conquered by the nations around them. They forsook God, 
They followed the people around them, and in the end, they surrendered their freedom. In the end, and here's really the point of today's message, here's the thing that always kind of slips up on us, and here's the thing that we, we never really see coming until it's too late, really. Here's the thing that, that, that puts us in this cycle of, I want to do what I want to do when I want to do it. Now I'm doing what I want to do when I want to do it. And uh-oh, I'm doing what I want to do when I want to do it. And I can't quit. I don't like it anymore. And I can't quit. And Israel simply traded one king for another. They were no longer able to resist. They willingly walked away from God and they found themselves where they could not freely go back. Now, there's such a huge lesson in all this for us. In fact, this should be incredibly obvious to us. Um, we've all got a life history and we could all tell our story because we've all got one. We've all got a story about how we did what we wanted when we wanted to do it with whom we wanted to do it with and it cost us in some major way. Because I've got a story, you've got a story. I mean, we could just spend the rest of the day just letting you say, this is what happened to me and this is how I ended up, you know. Many of us grew up in church. We heard the Ten Commandments. We went to Sunday school. We were taught right from wrong. Even our conscience was kind of dialed into Scripture and we kind of knew what God thought and what we should be doing and what he would say. And we'd say, you know, I think I have pretty good clarity on what God wants me to do in my life. You may have even memorized some verses. You probably could to this day quote some verses to me that you learned in Sunday school or in Bible school of some kind. And at some point you said, you know what? I'm just not going to do it anymore. I'm tired of being good. I'm tired of being a Christian. I'm tired of being a church person. I, I'm just, I'm tired of this. Or, or maybe you didn't make a decision. Maybe it was kind of a gradual thing, but at some point along the way, you just kind of walked away. Maybe you weren't even a Christian. Maybe you just kind of came up in a good home and your conscience had been conditioned by good parenting and you at least had your hand on the pulse of American and religious values. But somewhere along the way you decided, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do the way I want to do it with whom I want to do it. And I don't need a king and I certainly don't need some invisible God and I don't need a bunch of rules to tell me what to do. I don't want to listen to a God who never seems to be on my side and then one day you woke up and you realized, uh-oh, I didn't gain any freedom in this exchange. My expression of freedom has cost me freedom. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. And the reason that this always kind of slips up on us and, and the reason that we, we just kind of trade one king for another is, is this. And what I'm about to say might be offensive, so don't get mad at me. Hear me out before you get up and walk out the door. But you were created which means that there is a creator. And because you were created by a creator, that means you were not created to be your own king. You were created, and this is the offensive part, you and I were created to be ruled over, which means that when we say no to one king, we always choose another king. See, there is no such thing as absolute and total autonomy for us. There is no such thing. We're created beings. We were created to be ruled by somebody. Now, I know we want it. That's the American dream, right? We, we, we want it. 
But until you can control when you're born and when you die and suicide has nothing to do with it, until you can decide how you're going to go out and know when you're going to go out and, you know, all the circumstances around it, then you're not totally, completely autonomous. Not only that, but if you're completely autonomous, nobody is going to like you. I don't know if you've uh, ever read the book by C.S. Lewis, The Great Divorce. It's actually not about divorce. It's about hell. And in the book, C.S. Lewis describes hell because nobody really knows what hell's like. And so C.S. Lewis says, let me, I'm going to tell you what, what I think hell's like. And he says, in hell, everyone can have whatever they want just by thinking of it. Okay, can you imagine that? Everybody can have exactly what they want just by thinking of it. And in hell, no one can get along. And in hell, <clears throat> in hell, everybody lives far, far away from each other. Nobody wants to be close to anybody else in hell because everybody's <clears throat> getting what they want. Let's address this, shall we? <clears throat> Everybody's getting what they want, and they got total autonomy, and they had no community. See, you were created to be ruled, and when you say no to the creator king, you simply choose another king, and we do this all the time. For example, some of you will understand this, the king of appetite. Isn't this sort of a, I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it thing? And one day you choose appetite over God. God, I'm tired of saying no. I'm tired of wrestling with this temptation. God, I want a cookie. God, I want more than one cookie. Now I want ice cream. Now I want cake. Now I want bread. Now I want sweets. Now I'm going to do a lot of things I shouldn't do, and I'm going to eat a lot of things I want to eat. And I've got all this freedom, and then weeks down the road, months down the road, years down the road, you look in the mirror, and you have no freedom. And you say, how did I get to look like this? It started with the king of the appetite, the little king. And suddenly, you can't say no. And you are ruled by your appetite. You simply traded one king for another. Insecurity. Maybe some of the problems you've got is that you want to be a Christian, but where you live or where you work or, you know, the people that you play with or do sports with or whatever, to be a Christian is kind of a weird thing to them. And, you know, they kind of leave you out or you notice them talking about things and they don't include you in those. Or maybe they whisper and, you know, it, you, you feel weird. And you say, you know what, I'm just going to quit playing this game. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm tired of the Christianity thing. I, I'm just going to do what I want, when I want. I want to be a part of the group. And all of a sudden, your insecurity is ruling you. And you just traded one king for another. Fear, comparison, lust. I mean, I don't even have to explain that. Greed. And then I want family history. I want to talk a little bit about family history. Because see, here's what some of you, <clears throat> here's what I know about you. Some of you, you've, because you've, I, I talk to you and I, You've not said this out loud and you've not written this down anywhere as like one of your life missions, but it's one of your life missions. You, it, under your breath and when you're by yourself, this is one of the things you think. You think, I will not be like my dad. I, I remember a time my dad looked at me and my, my siblings in the back seat of the car as we were headed off to Christmas um, Eve with my family. And, you know, it was one of those unholy hour moments we just had. <clears throat> and he looked at us and he said, 
If I ever get to be like my father, I want one of you to smack me. I'm never going to smack my dad. But he's just like his father. <laughs> right? I mean, and, and there are moments when I say things to my kids and I sound just like my dad. You know, but that's what we say. I'm not going to be like my dad. I'm not going to be like my mom. My family is not going to be like my family of origin. It's not going to happen. History will not repeat itself. And then at some point along the way, you abandon God. Now let me just tell you, you're not going to want to believe me. And at some point you can just send me a note. You know, a year from now, five years from now, and you can say, you know what, Brett, when you said that, I was so mad at you and I thought, how arrogant, how dare you? But you know what? You were right. Just make a note, mark it down. Now, I'm not all that smart, but I've had lots of conversations, and I'm just going to tell you what I've learned from my conversations. When a man or a woman intentionally or accidentally turns their back on Creator God, you can mark it down. History is going to repeat itself. It just is. You were made to be ruled, not controlled. There's a difference. A lot of people think that the church wants to control them. And a lot of churches do want to control people. If you're new to Cross Lane, here's one of the things I want you to know about Cross Lane. I'm not trying to control you. All I'm going to do is tell you what happens when you sin and try and give you incentive to stay away from it. If you want to go sin, have at it, brother and sister. Have at it. But I'm telling you, all the problems in your life are the result of sin that gets committed. Am I right? I'm right. We're free in Jesus. You're free in Jesus. Are you telling me, Brett, I'm free to sin? Yeah, I'm telling you you're free to sin, and I'm telling you God says don't do that because he's trying to protect you and provide for you. When you tell your kids no, when you tell your kids no, aren't you trying to protect them and provide for them, right? So why is it that we don't get that when God tells us no? Hey, don't do that, that's going to hurt you. Don't do that, that's going to be a problem in your life. Don't do that, you're going to give up your freedom if you do that. And your best bet of breaking the my family history is going to repeat itself and is, is to stay away from I'm going to do what I want to do when I want to do it. That's how family history that you want to get undone, that's how it got started. And when you say, I'm never going to be like my dad, I'm never going to be like my mom, my family is going to be different, and then you ask the question, well, what went wrong? I mean, with the previous generation, what went wrong? Chances are somebody somewhere said, I want to do what I want to do with whom I want to do it, when I want to do it. And if you do the same thing, history's going to repeat itself. Come on. There, there is a God who loves you, and he, he understands the power of forgiveness that, that will break this whole spell. That, that's the beautiful thing. See, if there's a God who wants something for you, better for you, who basically says, hey, I want better for your family, I want better for your kids and your grandkids and your next generation, then why wouldn't you say yes to a creator king who wants what's best for you? But I'm just going to tell you, I want what I want when I want it. History will repeat itself because you simply surrendered one king for another. Because you know how this starts. All these little kings, you know what they do? They whisper. They've got this thing that they whisper. 
Just whisper, I won't. Just say it, I won't. I won't do this. Be your own man. Be your own woman. I won't obey. I won't be morally pure. I won't make the right choice. I won't live on a budget. I won't stay on a diet. I won't, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do, God. I won't. I won't. And all the little kings say, yeah, that's how we talk. That's what we say. Nobody rules us. We're our own boss. It's our mantra. It's our bottom line. It's our saying. It's our marching orders. I won't. Don't let anybody tell me what to do. And you wake up saying, I can't. I can't get out of debt. I can't lose weight. I can't back out. I can't change. I want to change. I want to change. I want to go back to the way it was. I want to go back to the days when I had a clear conscience and I had, you know, I didn't have a lot of friends, but the ones I had really liked me. I want to go back to the community. I want to be connected again, surrounded by people who were going in the same direction I was going and I felt good and I felt supported. I want all that and I, I can't seem to get back there because the little kings, the kings of lust and greed and comparison and appetite and fear and insecurity, they don't love you. They don't love you. They don't have your best interest in mind. They don't care where you end up, and they don't care if you don't have any freedom. And they tempt you with, just say, I won't. And then you wake up one day, and you're saying, I can't. And if you're still on the borderline of Christianity, or you're trying to figure it out, or you're even from some other religion, or maybe you're a dead-on follower of Jesus, think about this. Why is it so much easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the things that we substitute for God? You ever thought about that? Why is it easier to say no to God? God, no, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm done. I'm not going to forgive him. I'm not going to forgive her. God, I'm a senior in high school. I need you to close your eyes for the next nine months. Because I'm going to do some things and I don't want you to know what they are. Why is it so much easier to say no to God than it is to say no to the things that we substitute for God? Why was it so much easier to say, God, I know she's not good for me. God, I know I don't have any business moving in. God, I know I shouldn't see him on the side. God, I I know, but that's what I'm going to do. Why is it so much easier to say no to God than it is to now that you're in a relationship, that now that you've moved in, now that you have this thing going on and you're completely covered by it and you can't manage the consequences, and why is it that now you want out, it's so much more difficult to say no to the thing or the person that you substituted for God than it is to say no to God? Why? Why is it more difficult to say no to the created thing than it is to the created creator king? Why was it so much easier to say, no, God, I'm, I'm tired of struggling with this. I'm just going to give myself to it. I'm gonna, this is going to be my pastime. Um, I need a break. I need a hobby. I need a little guilty pleasure. God, I know what you think. I know what my conscience is telling me. I know how I was raised. But, God, I'm going to have this thing in my life, and I'm going to do what I want to do. Why was it so much easier to say, no, God, And now you'd like to say no to this thing. Whatever it is, whatever the little king is in your life or several of them, 
You'd like to be able to say no to it, and now it's difficult. Now it controls you. Now it's wrecking you financially. Now it's keeping you awake at night. You don't even get a good night's sleep because that's all you think about. Why is it so much more difficult to say no to that than it is to say no to God? Here's why. The substitute kings are not merciful. The substitute kings do not love you. The substitute kings will control you, and the substitute kings will take away your freedom. They will. Maximum freedom, and and, and this is a lesson that we all learn. We either learn it the hard way or we learn it the easy way. Hopefully, you'll, you'll learn this the easy way, and you won't have to go through a bunch of stuff. But maximum freedom is found under the canopy of God's authority every time. Maximum freedom is never found serving the little kings. Maximum freedom is found under God's authority. There's a canopy, and God says, I'm your king. And he says, when you get under this, you're going to have maximum freedom. And that is why it's easier to say no to God than it is to the substitute kings. Now, at the end of this little piece of history, not the book of Judges, but the first round, this, this thing where Israel experienced with God here, Here's how it ends in Judges chapter 3. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel so that he sold them into the hands of, and I kind of have to go slow because these are hard to say, Kushan Rishathaim, king of Aram, Naharaim, easy for you to say, to whom the Israelites were subject for eight years. And it's kind of like God said, okay, you like the Canaanites? Then why don't you go take a Canaanite king? At least you can say my name. You know, I mean, at least my name's easy to say. And for eight years, eight years they suffered at the hands of a man whose culture they had adopted. For eight years they served under a king whose culture they had embraced themselves, and they suffered under a king whose gods they had chosen as their own gods. And then at the end of eight years, they did what some of you have done and what I have done at different times— They did what some of you are ready to do today. They did what some of you need to do today. They threw up their hands and they said, Oh God, we have sinned. I'm sorry. I was a fool. I did the very things you warned me about and what you told me was going to happen, happened. And expressing my freedom and my independence, it cost me my freedom. We didn't gain freedom, we gave it away. And we've been conquered by the very thing and the very king and the very culture that we've copied. Oh God, would you deliver us? And God said, yes, because you are still my people. See, one of the amazing things about the Christian faith that is illustrated throughout the history of Israel is that, number one, God is a God of mercy. But he's so merciful, he will not force himself on you. That's one of the beautiful things about God. He's not going to force himself on you. He'll whisper your name. He'll call you to him. He will remind you that he's there. And there will always be that thing where you know God's calling me back. God's calling me back. And I'm off doing this. And I don't want to hear God's voice, but he's calling me. He will let you choose. Do you know why you get to choose? You know why it's so easy to say no to God? Because maximum freedom is found under the canopy of God's authority. And I can't, I've got this starred in my notes here because I, I really want to make sure that you understand this. 
He does not want to control you. I know some of you think that you, you equate Christianity and going to church and loving God and following Christ with, oh, it just wants to control me. Christ wants to set you free. And those of you who have eaten too much, those of you who've spent too much, those of you who have said, I'm going to spend what I want, when I want, where I want. I'm going to eat what I want, where I want, when I want, with whom I want. I'm going to go there with whom I want. And now you're in bondage? How's that working out? But when you come to Christ and you follow him and a lot of that stuff falls away and you're not looking over your shoulder and you're not worried and you're not fat and you're not in debt, when you do it God's way, things change, things get better. God does not want to control you. I know there are people driving up and down Lafayette Avenue right now that don't want to go to church, and they think, I don't, why would I go there and listen to a guy yell at me? He doesn't even know me. All he wants to do is control me. Let me just ask you one question. As I've talked this morning, have I sounded like somebody that's trying to control you? I'm not trying to control you. Listen, if God wanted to control you, he would have created you as controlled already. God wants to love you, and God wants you to love him back. Something that the little kings have no interest in whatsoever. They don't want to love you back. The only way for you to have a love relationship with God is for him to give you the freedom to go when you want to go and express grace and mercy when you finally decide to come back to him. In order to forgive you, you've got to come back. And just as he took Israel back over and over and over again, he will take you back. But listen to me, as your pastor, I, 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 I want you to see that when you say no to God, it's going to cost you. When, whenever I have said no to God, it has always cost me. And I, listen, if you want to go do all that stuff, go for it. I'm telling you, it's a minefield, and all the problems that you've got in your life are the result of your sin or somebody else's sin. That's where it came from. And as your pastor, I'm just simply trying to say to you, listen, you're free in Christ. Go live life. Go have a great time. But I'm telling you, when you break the laws of God, it's costly. When you serve the little kings, it's costly. And God loves you, and the little kings don't. See, here's the thing. You can't reparent your kids. You can't get your 20s back. You can't get your 30s back. You can't be an absent father and do all that stuff you're wanting to do or trying to do and at the expense of your kids and then all of a sudden go back and get a do-over. You don't get a do-over. Those years and those experiences are gone. They're gone and they were wasted serving many times little kings instead of the one true king who would have directed us to the right things anyway. The bottom line is this, and I'll close. In our attempt to do what we want to do, when we want to do it, with whom we want to do it, Understand and do not be deceived. All you do is trade one king for another. And whenever you choose to do what you want, when you want, for, with whom you want, and God, I don't really care what you think, conscience, I'm sick of listening to you. When you choose what you want, when you want, with whom you want, and you put God in the rearview mirror, just understand, you have not chosen independence. You have simply traded one king for another now listen to me somebody in this room this morning and i venture to say several somebody's in the room this morning have looked at god and said god thanks but no thanks i'm going to do it my way 
I know better than you. And God, I'm going to go serve this little king over here. And you've done that, and it hasn't worked out real good for you. And as I've been talking, you've thought, man, freedom, the word freedom, I love that word. I wish I had that in my life. You can have that in your life today. You just got to come home. You just got to come home. Exchange your little king for the creator king who loves you and offers you mercy and waits to embrace you the minute you come running to him. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we, we all can find ourselves in what we were talking about this morning. There's not a single one of us in this room that hasn't at one point or another just kind of traded out you for something else. And God, because you are so merciful, it becomes very easy for us to just say no to you because you don't chase us down and you don't make us, you don't control us. Father, help us to see that when we are in right relationship with you and when we live under the canopy of your authority, we are so much more free. Lord, for the person in the room this morning that's walked in here with a heavy burden, a heavy load, and they've served so many little kings that it's just finally caught up to them, and they want freedom. I pray, Lord, that you would help them to see that that's possible for them this morning. Father, would we be a people here at Cross Lane that know that freedom, revel in it, take joy in it, and we never exchange the creator king for the little kings. Father, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray.